Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Hope you guys can hear us for this podcast. We're wearing masks for this podcast because this is the first time we've seen each other in, you know, in, in a long time, in months. Mm-hmm. Normally we're on a Zoom call together, but we are putting this one together bare bones. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's how bare bones it is. We have a single microphone right now plugged into my iPhone because our producer and all his high-tech equipment, it's all without electricity at his house. And this podcast is going to dive into what in the world happened. Not at his place, but at everyone's place. Two million Texans without electricity? How in the world does that happen in the state that lawmakers here love to brag about being the biggest energy-producing state in the country? Questions are out there. And you say two million homes, Jason. Uh, I, I think when, we get, when the dust settles on this, we're going to find out that it was more than two million homes that didn't have power. And when you hear you know, two million customers without power, that's two million times however many people live in wherever that is that lost power. So we're talking about multiple millions of Texans who have been sitting in their homes, shivering, putting on blankets and clothes, and that ain't doing the trick. We know that. If you've been sitting through that, you know exactly what we're talking about. So some tough questions are going to have to be asked here of the people who were in charge as to what went wrong, and it sounds like it's going to be a a lot of things that have gone wrong and some big changes that are going to have to be made. But before we get to that, we put out a phone number just to ask, what have people been going through? Because if you've had power this whole time, boy, count yourself lucky. There's been a lot of suffering. We've heard uh, a lot of uh, desperation, a lot of anger, and a lot of fear. I mean, here we are going on for all over 12 hours without any, any power at all. Um, completely unacceptable is, is what I have to say completely unacceptable. We were without power for over 13 hours. I am a mother of three. I have a brand new baby. We were coming close to the idea of getting in the car and driving somewhere. I was running low on battery. It was a very agonizing situation because I had no power. I didn't know what to do. Leave the house, risk my lot, my family, getting on the road with my family or risk being here at the house for who knows how long. Our home was 42 degrees, and every time we tried to call, we got no update or busy signals, or when we tried to call the emergency number because we literally are freezing in here, it would get it would say, sorry, we can't take your call. So this was mishandled. They should have at least updated us this morning and said, you're not going to get any power the rest of the day. And God, please don't let it go out again. It just came back on and we are freezing. Well, you can just hear how visceral it is there in the voice, almost a quivering voice like, please, please don't let this electricity run out again. I mean, people whose 
Homes are getting down into the 40s inside their house, and they're staying in there for hours and hours and hours. Just a desperate situation. Uh, so, you know, we've been hearing from a lot of the players involved here, including ERCOT. That's the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Long name, a lot of jargon there. Basically, they oversee the whole grid in Texas, and their job is to make sure that, like, when you put up the Christmas lights, you know how sometimes you put too many and it flips the whole breaker and your whole house turns off? Clark Griswold. Yeah, Clark Griswold. They're trying to make sure that we don't get too many Christmas lights plugged in. And if it looks like we do, they start unplugging strands of lights. And that means outages for different areas. So they stated the obvious as this really got uh, into swing here and this got really bad. And they said... We've winterized or, or we've encouraged the industry. It's not ERCOT that owns, you know, the power plants and so forth. They said we've, you know, encouraged them to winterize over this past decade or so. And there's been a lot of progress made. Obviously, our plan never included cold like we are seeing this time here in Texas. And they called it, you know, sort of unprecedented cold. But as we know, Jason, we've had uh, some big power outages like this across the state before. Yeah, and so when the rotating outages began, I started, you know, hopping on email because it was midnight or so. It was one twenty-five in the morning on, on early Monday morning when all this happened. Started reaching out to people, you know, can you talk about this? Can you tell us what's going on behind the scenes? How, how is this happening? Not people at ERCOT, but to energy experts across the state, to state lawmakers. And in this podcast, you're about to hear from both of those. Let's start with uh, a guy named Dr. David Tuttle. He is a research associate at the uh, University of Texas at Austin, the Energy Institute there. Uh, I emailed him and, and uh, he said, yeah, sure, send me a Zoom link. Let's do this. So that's what we did. Dr. Tuttle, uh, it's good to see you. Thanks for the time. Here's the big question that I think people are asking right now. Could, could Texas have done, could Texas have done anything more to prevent these rotating outages and these controlled outages that we're seeing right now? Because I remember 10 years ago this month, uh, when the Super Bowl is being played in Arlington, this same thing happened. We had rotating outages then. There were mistakes made. Hospitals were taken offline. Here we are 10 years later, and it looks like the same thing is happening. Well, there's always something to learn and always something to do better. Um, and I think what we'll find when the reports come out, say, middle of the summer, later on, about what happened here, looking at it uh, after the fact, that there were some things that could have been done better. Um, there may be some things on the wind turbine front. You can There are wind turbines throughout the world, and they do quite well in northern climates that have ice. And so maybe there's some things to learn with that. It isn't a tough technology to envision. You know, like our back windows on our cars, having those little uh, electric lines that heat them up. Right. So maybe they have those. Maybe they didn't turn them on. Who knows? I don't know. But the technology to keep ice from turbines probably is not something that's a huge breakthrough needed. As far as natural gas, if you go back and look at the reports from NERC, the, the reliability entity, you know, 10 years ago that you mentioned, there were natural gas shortages then. And some things were, say, natural gas wells produce water as well. And when you have sustained cold periods, that water can freeze up and then it can block the gas from being supplied. And so I would, you know, what we'll probably find is there a combination of a number of different things that could have been done better. One of the things that we need to look at is the overall winterization of the generation fleet. 
It's fair to say, Dr. Tuttle, in a case like this, and I, and I know it's not a great consolation to people, you know, millions of people across Texas right now who are without power, who are in really cold homes. But this kind of thing just usually doesn't happen in Texas. We usually don't hear about potential blizzard conditions, potentially zero degree or below zero degree actual temperatures. This isn't something the state has had to think a lot about as far as weatherizing goes. And it comes at such a time that all of these other states are dealing with the same thing. So it's not like you can just grab their power and bring it into your grid. So, yeah, but there are things that can be done, but it will cost some money. And I think that's when you look at the past histories, whether it be 10 years ago, 2011, or uh, 12 years before that, 1989, um, there's a cost trade-off. Do you suffer every 10 years a little bit of pain? And then how much is it going to cost to go really fully winterize those? Because as you said, it's such a rare event. We don't have sustained long periods that often. You know, second week in February is pretty cold sometimes. Second week in August can be very hot sometimes. And those extremes can stress the grid. How much do you want to pay to have that extra insurance? Yeah, at the end of the day, you're right, because you and I are going to be paying for this, uh, whatever happens. When I reached out to you uh, on email, you sent back some information that, that frankly, I'd forgotten about the last decade because this is so rare. Uh, the, the after action report when this happened in 2011, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, which I think you mentioned a moment ago, FERC issued a report in August of 2011. And you, you brought up a pretty good point in here. I, mean, I want to read this. Uh, this is from page 18 that you, you pointed out. Generators and natural gas producers suffered severe losses of capacity despite having received accurate forecasts of the storm. Entities in both of those categories having uh, report having winterization procedures in place. However, the poor performance of many of these generating units and wells suggests that these procedures were either uh, inadequate or were not adequately followed. The experiences of 1989 are instructive, particularly on the electric side. In that year, as in 2011, cold weather caused many generators to trip, to derate, or fail to start. That's what we're having now as well. The PUCT, the Public Utility uh, Commission of Texas, investigated the occurrence and issued a number of recommendations aimed at improving winterization on the part of the generators. Here's the line. This is the line. Those recommendations were not mandatory. And over the course of time, implementation lapsed. Many of the generators that experienced outages in 89 failed again in 2011. And we heard in a call on Monday from ERCOT, which manages the, the Texas electric grid, ERCOT said, yes, you know, wind energy was offline, but it, it, we don't count on it too much. What really tripped us up and took more than 30,000 megawatts offline was when natural gas uh, generation facilities went offline, coal and nuclear. We're seeing this every decade or two. This is happening. And at some point, I'm guessing lawmakers uh, and regulators are going to have to get on the same page here and say, listen, we, we've got to fix this. I think that's a good point. So if we use the example of 2003, the blackout that took out half the country, or the Northeast at least, right? And it started with uh, probably some failed uh, maintenance of vegetation in, in transmission lines. I think it was in Ohio. And then it propagated. One of the things that was learned there is that when all the different entities took care of their own equipment and the overall entity didn't have the authority to dictate that you will stay online and not trip off and stop this cascade, 
you know, it's safer for that individual entity to protect their equipment, but that contributed to the cascading. Well, the overall entity didn't have the teeth or the authority to dictate. It may be either Texas or reliability entity or ERCOT doesn't have the authority or the legislature doesn't have in place the requirements to fully winterize these facilities. And that may be a contributor. And I think that's something to look at. And that could be across the spectrum of all the different generation types. It's not just hit one type, right? Because their winterization costs money and you could count on it being sort of a, an insurance cost. And so how much do we wanna collectively spend to winterize these different sources? And this, let's not hit any one of these because when the wind isn't blowing, natural gas helps out. When natural gas is freezing up, I think you had mentioned that in 2011, wind contributed to reducing or mitigating the issue back then. There weren't the ice issues back then, but when gas was freezing up back then, wind helped out. So having a diversity of sources really helps generally speaking, improve the reliability and robustness and resiliency. And, and just very quickly there, when you talk about winterizing, we're talking about many millions of dollars across the state of Texas. Yeah, because there are so many facilities. I think ERCOT has over 600 generator, generators in its region. And so different ones mm -hmm. would require different actions. What is your gut tell you? Ultimately, what do you think it takes to actually move the needle here, though, and make change happen and make change be mandated? Is it that we have to get to a point? I mean, you know, maybe in 89 and, and then in 2011, we didn't, you know, suffer some catastrophic problem. Is it going to take that? Is it going to take, you know, people in serious danger in, in their homes right now, especially, you know, the elderly or people with special needs, uh, you know, that actually have to have the power on or somebody with a baby, for instance, is it going to take, you know, a tragedy to make us go, okay, you know what, we got to take this seriously this time. I, I talked to the regulators on that. I, I think these are good, all good people trying to do the, the right thing. It's a matter of how serious is it? How long is the duration? You know, are, are, does it go to a certain threshold where, the, the pain or the, the suffering is enough to, to incur the cost. That's a, mm. a political decision. Um, you can see all the different sides. Yeah, politics is, is certainly going to play into this. Uh, there's no question since it's, it's affected the entire state. One thing that Dan Woodfin, uh, one of the senior executives at ERCOT, uh, said on Monday is he said when, when asked about, you know, could Texas have done anything, could Texas do anything more to prevent this? Uh, Dan said, this event was well beyond the design parameters for a typical winter or, or even extreme Texas winter that you would plan for. And then I haven't seen this before, and, and I found this interesting. You know, they talked about the worst case scenario would be rotating outages. Well, rotating outages have now turned into controlled outages. And, and we're hearing about people who've been offline for, you know, hours and hours when this was originally supposed to be. Uh, 15 to 30 minutes at a time. It, it, it seems like that there might be a political answer to this, but there seems like there needs to be a, a regulatory answer as well, doesn't there? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's where you weigh the cost and benefits. You know, all of us would love to say we want it super reliable. I, I don't have, an, we know it to be in the millions, right? To really yeah. bulletproof the system for that well beyond the design constraints. And this is from my memory, I've lived here most of my life. This is worse than 2011. I don't remember 1989 I lived here, but um, this is sustained. I don't remember 
single digits. I think that we're going to have one of the coldest days today as far as high temperatures on record. So this is a new, new situation. How much do we want to pay to go protect ourselves with insurance policies for rare events? Uh, there's and of course we have single period weather events like this, and that's you know certainly not to be confused with overall climate, which plays out over a matter of decades. But we know that the climate uh, has been changing, and I think uh, would it be fair to say that probably other e- electric grid operators uh, have been facing this and will continue to face this in years to come because we're seeing fluctuations in climate. This is going to become something that's going to have to be done and be talked about all over the country, not just here. Exactly. If you go look, I bet if you go look at SPP or MISO, for example, or the Western Interconnect. Where, where are those? Oh, okay. SP, sorry for the jargon. SPP, there's a portion of it that actually is in Texas in the north and the panhandle, but it's Oklahoma. Uh, the Midwestern is to the east around there. Um, we're not going to be unique in this. And the climate events that you're talking about, people should expect that that will require some investment to make all our grids more robust. Dr. Tuttle, is there anything on the academic side that you're really looking at? Politically, you know, people are upset and that sometimes results in political change. But I'm just curious from from your standpoint, what, what are you going to be looking at in the coming weeks? Well, I think, again, I won't be, you know, creating papers and right. doing modeling on this, but we know in intuition-wise, plus some other studies. Diversity helps, right? There could be some things that are low-hanging fruit in terms of the management of it. There could be some regulatory uh, improvements to force those winterization actions to be taken place, hopefully at modest costs. Um, And then there could be more responsive demand. You know, one of the areas that you have is, uh, I have a hybrid um, water heater now. And so it may be intelligent where you could turn it off to reduce load. All the smart thermostats that can help trim it back. So that instead of rotating outages, we all sort of sacrifice a little bit ourselves. Mm. Electric vehicle charging that you could move or defer. So flexible demand can be part of the solutions. And that way you're not having to invest as much perhaps in the generation side. You just more intelligently manage the demand. It can help. Well, and you, speci- you specialize in, in EVs, electric vehicles, and I'm just curious about that. But my neighbor across the street has, a, has an EV and big charging, you know, set up in, in her driveway. You know, if you need a vehicle in this, you know, below freezing temperature here and your power's off, what does that do? Well, see, I have my own personal refueling station in my garage, and so I charged it up a couple of days ago and I've got a full gas tank equivalent, 300 mm. and something mile range, just sitting there. And so mm. whenever the grid is up, I can top up. I can't go to the gas station right now because of icy roads. Mm. So my wife's car that may be at half tank is actually a worse situation than my EV mm. that has a full tank. That is a great point. And your gas station might not have power right now either to be able to run those pumps. Uh, does that battery in the car actually uh, keep working in these horrible temperatures? I know that my phone automatically shut itself off because the battery got too cold yesterday. It's fine. They have <laughs> a lot more sophisticated battery thermal management systems in a $30,000 plus car than they do in a phone. 
That makes sense. Dr. Tuttle, my last uh, question for you is, uh, it looks like the three of us have power. We're on a Zoom meeting right now. So many people, though, do not. Um, and I think that it might give them at least a tad bit of consolation to know that people are scrambling behind the scenes to make this right. And then when that is over, to understand what went wrong and to keep that from happening again, just from your knowledge base, how much scrambling is happening behind the scenes right now? Oh, there's plenty. I can, I can tell you, I'm a commissioner. I oversee Austin Energy on the Electric Utility Commission. And for my interactions with them over the years, these are dedicated, incompetent people trying to do the right thing. And the crews are out there, you know, in very hazardous conditions. So there's two things overlapped. At the distribution level for your local utility, whether it be Encore where you are or Centerpoint in Houston or, you know, Austin Energy where we are, there are lines down because the ice is so heavy. We have two trees in my yard alone that have fallen from the ice. And no amount of vegetation management can solve that when you've got heavy ice, okay? So there's the distribution level. And then there's the ERCOT grid operator level. But I know people from ERCOT, very, de very dedicated, competent people. And so especially when these folks have been going through COVID and in the ERCOT control rooms, so you don't, those are critical infrastructure. Those folks, I think, are having rotating uh, shifts where they don't see their families for weeks because they have to be isolated. And so there are sacrifices between COVID and this weather that really aren't, aren't really seen that I'm confident that these folks are hardworking, competent and doing all they can. Is it tough? Yeah. Is it a pain in the neck? You bet. Are there people suffering that we hope? Unfortunately, yeah, but we'll get through this. And hopefully some things, I know more than hopefully, some things will be taking place that can help. Dr. Uh, Tuttle. I have, that, I have no doubts there's a lot of hardworking people helping. Yeah, it sounds like it. My apologies for stepping on you there. I have a couple of quick last questions. I don't think a lot of Texans probably know that, uh, you know, Texas and Mexico are uh, big trading partners. Um, but Texas buys a lot of power and sells power to Mexico. I don't think people realize that Mexican power right now is helping out here in Texas. Uh, how, how important is that? Well, it's any little bit that you can get helps, right? The ERCOT control center is looking for every generator they can get, every source they can get. The DC ties to Mexico probably are fairly small in the grand picture, but every little bit helps. And my next question is, you know, considering Mexico, considering wind, gas, uh, you know, everyone was talking up renewable sources for a long time. Nuclear was on the way out. But just from this conversation here, it sounds like that, that you really need a good diversified, balanced portfolio of electric generating uh, capacity out there. That You need all of it, don't you? All of the above tends to help. Maybe even more of all of the above is, is what the answer is going to be when this is said and done. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can make a case for, you could come up with pathological cases where any one of the mix has its issues, yeah. right? But we don't want to invest all our IRA or 401k money in one thing, no GameStop <laughs> or something. Right. <laughs> but um, you diversify it across and then you deal with the individual issues that may arise out of that. And then hopefully the overlap between all of them makes the whole system more secure. 
Hopefully so. Uh, Dr. Dave Tuttle, thank you so much. He's a research associate um, at the uh, Energy Institute at the University of uh, Texas at Austin. Thanks for getting on the line with us and good luck with those trees uh, in your yard there, man. We appreciate the time. Hey, I hope everybody stays warm. Thanks again. Fascinating insight there from from Dr. Tuttle about this. And he's not surprised by any of it. That's what's amazing to me. We reached out to someone at the University of Houston. Same situation. They're not surprised. People who are in the industry saw this one coming. So we heard from the the uh, three people at the beginning of this, the women going through you know, this terrible situation at their houses and this, you know, freezing temperatures, they're reaching out to everyone, Mm -hmm. to Encore, to their state reps, to everybody. And in fact, it was a state representative uh, from Collin County, a guy named Jeff Leach. He's a Republican in Collin County. He ended up, you know, taking this straight to Twitter. And, you know, for everyone to see, he, he tweeted out on Monday, this unprecedented weather situation is an emergency and the people of Texas deserve answers. It's our obligation to tell the truth, even when it might be bad news, especially when it might be bad news, he said. So I have uh, Representative Leach's cell phone. I called him up to see if he'd talk to us about this. Let's start out with your tweet. You sent that out. Uh, you're, you're feeling what a lot of Texans are feeling right now, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I'm hearing from hundreds, if not thousands, of my constituents who share the same concerns I do. Have you gotten any answers, any results so far? What are you telling them? Well, look, there's, there's people all across our state right now, hardworking men and women, literally, as I speak, that are out there uh, working in the cold to try to restore power. Uh, what I want is answers and better communication um, from the officials, from our, our providers. Um, that people need answers. And generally, when people are told the truth, um, they're resilient. They can prepare and plan accordingly. That's my big concern right now is, yes, making sure people are, are taken care of and power back on, but that the truth is communicated to our constituents. Is communication poor at this point? How would you rate it? It sounds like that, that may be one of the issues. Well, hearing from my constituents um, to say it's been poor would probably be a uh, would probably be rewarding and a little little better than it's been. Poor, it's it's been uh, entirely unacceptable. Um, and look, they're they're busy. They're they're working around the clock to try to restore power. There's no question about that. But we've got to get give answers. And when, when people should expect rolling blackouts, we can tell them that. When people possibly shouldn't expect their power to be back on uh, for 12 to 24 hours, we need to tell them that as well. It's all about just being upfront, forthright, and, and, uh, and honest with the people. One of the things that ERCOT said on, uh, on Monday was that last night about 11 o'clock, on, on Sunday night about 11 p.m., multiple power generation plants went down. This is gas. This is coal. This is nuclear. Uh, they don't rely on wind, obviously, that much during the winter. That's more of a summer deal. But gas, coal, nuclear went out because they froze. The equipment physically froze. The governor said the same thing in a tweet on Monday. Is, is there something that the legislature can do to require winterizations? You know, this is not happening in Oklahoma. This is not happening in Nebraska. There's got to be a plan for this somewhere. Should the, should the lawmakers like you actually mandate something? Well, well, Jason, look, there's no question that lawmakers in Austin have got to ask tough questions and we've, we've got to find out the truth, figure out what went wrong, why it went wrong and fix it so it doesn't happen again. But right now, our immediate issue is getting power back on and we're working collaboratively and aggressively all across the state to do that. Um, but we've got to communicate with people as well. That's been my big concern. And, and by the way, things just over the past couple hours have gotten better. Power is being restored. That's a good thing. Um, but there's no question, Jason, that we've got to ask the tough questions, find the answers, and like I said, fix this so it never happens again. Have you got an idea of when everything might be back on? Because we have another storm in the forecast. 
Yeah, we do. And that's the, that's the concerning thing um, right now. I know in our own neighborhood here in Allen and neighborhoods across Plano, including some retirement communities, pockets where elderly folks live, it's been rolling blackouts um, extended one to two hours in some pockets of my district and in many pockets across the state. Jason, people have been without power going on um, 12 to 14 hours, and we're headed into a freezing night, um, possibly another record snowfall Wednesday. And so we've got to address this now. And like I said, people all around the state are working around the clock to fix it. And we'll continue to do so um, on behalf of the people that we're elected to serve. Yeah, last thing for you, uh, Representative Leach, looking, looking ahead, obviously everyone, everyone wants us back on as soon as possible. Looking ahead, though, the legislature has plenty of stuff going on, the pandemic being priority. But is, is something like this, would something like this rise to the, you know, rise to like a hearing level, investigation level by lawmakers, do you think? Oh, well, well without question, we're going we're gonna to have hearings on this. We're going to ask tough questions. We're going to do so in the sunlight in front of the people of Texas. Um, it's our job to do so. Um, and and we've, we're in session right now. We've got an opportunity and an obligation to fix this. And much like COVID, um, this is an unprecedented situation. Uh, things like this do happen, but it's incumbent upon us as elected officials and advocates for our constituents to ask tough questions and to fix uh, very real complex problems. Thanks for the time. Hope you stay warm, man. All right, bud. See you, man. All right. So some great insight there. A lot of different perspectives represented here. What I'm curious to see this time, though, we have a legislature that's in session right now. We know how Texas works. We're going to be complaining about the heat before you know it. And, you know, this becomes kind of a distant memory. Is this going to be the year that Texas finally says, "Okay, let's not just make a suggestion. Let's make this mandatory so that we never see something like this happen here again. Because if you're one of the millions who has been sitting there in your home, turning into an ice cube slowly in the dark in many cases, uh, you want some action this time. And so we're going to keep asking the tough questions uh, and we're going to keep following this to make sure that lawmakers are still following this and that the industry is still following this, because I think people are expecting something this time around, because, you know, when you look at it, it really is inexcusable. Somebody uh, commented to us on that phone line that we started with. This is not a third world country. All right. So uh, all of that said, we hope that you have gotten some information out of this. Just know that we're going to keep following this. We know that the state is planning an investigation into this that will probably play out over weeks and months. And uh, we'll be doing our own look into this as well. Uh, We do hope that you stay warm. We do hope that you keep your power. Thanks, as always, for listening. And uh, we'll do it all again next week.